Viewpoint, weekdays, 8 to 10 p.m. on SAFM. The Viewpoint. Weekdays, 8 to 10 p.m. Songes on on SAFM. We, the people of South Africa, recognize the injustices of our past, honor those who suffered for justice and freedom in our land, respect those who have worked to build and develop our country, and believe that South Africa belongs to all who live in it, united in our diversity. We therefore, through our freely elected representatives, adopt this constitution as the supreme law of the republic, so as to heal the divisions of the past and establish a society based on democratic values, social justice and fundamental human rights, lay the foundations for a democratic and open society in which government is based on the will of the people and every citizen is equally protected by law, improve the quality of life of all citizens and free the potential of each person, and build a united and democratic South Africa able to take its rightful place as a sovereign nation in the family of nations. May God protect our people. Gosse Sigalela Africa. Murena Bulugase Chabasa Hesu. Hot Sienseid Africa. God bless South Africa. Mudzimu Fatucheza Afurika. Hosi Katekisa Africa. Good evening, Justice Albi Sachs. Good evening. It's so wonderful to hear those words. I can't see, read, hear, think of them often enough. What emotions came through as that was read to you, given that you've got so much history attached to those words? One one of enormous pride, um, courage, um, a sense of beauty, because the language is, is, is so clear, and a sense of some things somehow lost. Some, some things have a, almost a purity to them. Uh, goals, visions, beliefs that people had, things that people were thinking about when they were in jail, when they were in exile, when they were in the underground, when they were meeting with what we call the enemy and we were trying to envisage uh, a new country. Uh, and it's in language that I think appeals to everyone. Uh, there's something resonant about it, something deep. Uh, something quite profound, and also has got a very, very strong South African character. I can't imagine any other country having a preamble like that. You know, it, it's not something generic that you go to a supermarket and say, "Oh, I, I'd like that preamble; it'll fit nicely in our country." Uh, the, these words, the language, came out of our pains and and our hopes, uh, and our expectations, and our demands, and demands on ourselves, uh, demands on our leaders, demands on people close to us and demands on people who are far away from us. Indeed profound words. And let's go back to Cliptown in 1955. You were there. You were a young 20-year-old law graduate or law student, even an advocate possibly. And you were one of very, very few white people there. In fact, you protested the idea that you were not allowed to be there because (laughs) it was... I think there might have been out of 2,000 or so people, maybe... 20 or 30 whites. Uh, some had come up from Cape Town, others from Joburg, others from Durban. And we were there, we were made to feel very, very welcome. But this was overwhelmingly African, very large representation from people from the Indian community who'd been very active 
in the struggle uh, against racism, discrimination, uh, a number of people from a colored community, but overwhelmingly African. And, you know, when the police came in, it was on the second day, and, and we were sitting on the ground, uh, makeshift platform, uh, reading out the sections from the Freedom Charter, uh, and suddenly we surrounded by a large number of police. Many were on horseback, and others came marching in with what were called stem guns. If one stone had been thrown, we wouldn't be speaking about Charcoal, we'd be speaking about Cliptown as a place of massacre. We stood up and we sang beautiful, beautiful African songs that united us, that kept us calm, that made us feel brave, and made us resist provocation. What does that for the people and her spirit mean in adopting in 1955 the Freedom Charter that is in so many ways the constitution that was ultimately concluded in 1996 and came into promulgation in 1997? Those words, it was was a vision. Uh, It wasn't simply tearing down apartheid that was so cruel and, and inhuman that was driving us apart and the anger that you had it, 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 it kind of resistance this was something what we could be what we could imagine how we wanted to be and and uh, it was extremely unifying uh, and and it gave us hope and it was so unifying also not just between intellectuals um, an elite, a political elite from different communities coming together to agree on beautiful words. Uh, it reached out it, 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 to people in rural areas, uh, in, in, in what we call the homeland areas. It reached out to members of trade union branches. I was a student at the University of Cape Town then where we, we discussed the charter. We all sent in our, our aims. And I think the reason it stood up so well, it wasn't the product of a few intellectual minds or some professors or politicians. It was a product of enormous, enormous investment by people saying we don't want the past laws, we want to be free to move, to leave our country, we wanted to vote. Uh, it came from their hearts. And it was the same spirit from somebody who might be a professor or a lawyer or a doctor uh, as somebody working as a farm worker, uh, thinking in his or her own African language and so on, basically human beings want the same rights and sense of decency. And now we were being affirmative. We were being positive. We were coming together. We were defying the attempts of apartheid to divide us and tell us who we were and what we could do and how we should imagine ourselves. And I think that's what its strength came from. And that's what enabled us to resist the provocations. They would have loved to open fire with, with their stem guns against us. And we just stood up and we sang. Imaginably so. This is what the Freedom Charter says. We, the people of South Africa, that's how it starts. This is how the Constitution of South Africa starts. We, the people of South Africa. Those are the words that Justice Albie Sachs has been so indelibly engaged in for the best part of his adult life. We are in conversation with Justice Albie Sachs, an activist and former judge of the Constitutional Court of South Africa. We'll be back right after this. This is what tap dancing sounds like on a normal day. And this is what tap dancing sounds like on 10 May. 
No matter what you do, don't forget Slipper Day on 10 May. Support Reach for a Dream by wearing your slippers on Slipper Day 2019. Not all heroes wear capes, so get a wristband from slipperday.co.za and help us make dreams come true. Reach for a Dream, inspiring hope. This is an SABC-supported initiative. Across South Africa, online and on radio. SAFM, let's talk. on SAFM. Good evening, South Africa. We're in conversation with Justice Albi Sachs. My name is Songa Zomabedle. This is the SAFM Viewpoint, leading the conversation. We're taking your calls on 0891-104-207. We are receiving WhatsApp voice notes on 0614-104-107. Justice Albi Sachs, you've painted a beautiful picture in terms of how the people, as I mentioned earlier on, it was we the people in Cliptown, it was still we the people when President Nelson Mandela formally launched the promulgation and coming into effect of the Constitution in 1997 at Cliptown, incidentally. And this democratic project, as it unfolded, as you were presiding over some of the most critical cases which really came to define what a constitutional democracy, as we now know it was. We talk about Magwanyana, we talk about Minister of Health and the Treatment Action Campaign, Furi. We talk about Khrodbom, we talk about Subramani. We, these cases, as they unfolded and you were sitting there, part of the deliberations at judges' conference, reading them out to a live audience who were affected by these socioeconomic rights in particular, how did it feel as someone who had fought for the longest time to see these moments unfold the way that they did? Well, it, it was wonderful. I had terrific colleagues, so different so varied in our backgrounds, all united by a common belief in this thing called the Constitution. And it was tough. It was hard. We worked late into the night. We loved it. We didn't have a huge number of cases. We, we looked at uh, decisions from all over the world to see what useful themes and ideas we could get. We did enormous research into our own history. We looked at the living conditions of our people. And in the end, we had to apply those very calm, cool, clear words of the Constitution to real-life situations and apply it in ways that were functional, that, that, that could work, that could be meaningful. And, and one of our tasks, in fact, was to make the language of the Court's decisions much more accessible than it had traditionally been in this country and many other parts of the world. We banned Latin. We said we don't need to use these old phrases that we all learnt about in law school, that we love to use in the courts before, uh, that block off understanding from ordinary people. Even the words, I think, inter alia, we didn't say inter alia, we'd say amongst others. Uh, prima facie stayed on. That's a Latin phrase that's come into, into the English language. In, in all sorts of other ways, we, we made it almost cost nothing to actually appear in the Constitutional Court. Uh, there would have to be papers would be copied, um, but we, we abolished special court fees, and we encouraged counsel to argue to us in terms of principle uh, and, and in terms of logic to answer our different questions. For me, it, it, was, it was heady. Uh, I sometimes tell people it was physically exhausting because we worked too late at night, it was emotionally very, very testing because we knew the significance of what we were doing. Intellectually fascinating. You know, one of the greatest arguments you can have 
is with a colleague whom you love and admire, and you see the world generally in the very same way, and you just disagree. And we yes. had lots of disagreements, and we would Healthy talk debates, our right? way through. And sometimes we would even assist colleagues who disagreed with us. I remember saying, one, Zach, you know, I think your case would be stronger against what I believe if you put it this way, that way, or the other. It was such a pride in our work. Uh, it, it, it was 15, in that sense, wonderful, wonderful years of my life. Justice Sachs, you've raised some important points as you've narrated the early days of the Constitutional Court. One about access, particularly as it pertains to language and dispensing with some of the characterizations of the judicial institutions that had come to be there, which in many respects were stumbling blocks for the majority of the people. Let's talk therefore about, for instance, this language issue. Yes, you aborted Latin and most, if not all of the decisions of the Constitutional Court are available in English. Has that been sufficient to meet the majority of the people, given the fact that English is not a first language for majority of the people? For instance, Makwanyana is not available in my research in any other language but English, as for the majority of the constitutional court cases. Has therefore enough been done to meet that obligation of access? I think more could be done. As a matter of principle, We, uh, in our rules, we said that people can address us in the court in any of the 11 official languages. And we arranged for uh, interpretation booths to be there. And as far as I know, they're still there in the court. So as a matter of principle, there's no obligatory use of English. I know of at least one, maybe two decisions have been given uh, in, in Afrikaans. And I think not too long ago, uh, there was a decision, a short decision written in, in Hossa. Uh, so in principle, it's okay. It, it, it's very convenient, obviously, to have one language. It's a common language. And it also means the decisions can go internationally. And I might say it's been a source of enormous pride to me. Uh, I meet judges from the European Court of Human Rights, and they tell me, uh, you know, we read the decisions of the Constitutional Court of South Africa, uh, a judge on the German Federal Constitutional Court, one of the great courts in the world, we always look first thing at the decisions of the South African Constitutional Court. I know the Indian Supreme Court looks to ours, the Canadian Supreme Court looks to ours. South Africa used to be a universal recipient of ideas uh, from all over the world, and now we're becoming a universal donor uh, in terms at least of, of legal ideas. And I think it's got a lot to do with the marvelous constitution we have and the careful crafting and thoughtfulness uh, that we managed to establish under great leadership of Arthur Chaskelson and Pius Langer uh, and, and um, Sandir Mobo afterwards and so on uh, in the Constitutional Court. We're having a conversation with Justice Albie Sachs. We're talking about the victory that the constitutional settlement was in South Africa, but more importantly, the legal victory it was, not just for South Africa, not just for Africa, but in terms of donating, is his word, to the rest of the international legal community. Stay tuned. We'll be back right after this. Justice Albie Sachs.
EFC hits Carnival City on 4 May, where Zimbabwe's Temba Garimbo and the Brazilian warrior Jose de Hocha clash for a shot at the welterweight title. And this Saturday on SABC3, we relive one of the biggest recent clashes as former contender Sylvester Chifumbu took on the exhilarating Tumisang Madiba. EFC, every Saturday at 8 p.m. on SABC3, brought to you by SABC Sport. If you're active on social media and love SAFM, we hope you'll take a moment to like or follow our SAFM page on Facebook and Twitter. These are the best places to find all the guest information, conversations and stories you love from your favorite presenters along with regular updates from SABC News. And don't forget, you can send your questions to feedback at safm.co.za. SAFM, leading the conversation. Here, there, and everywhere. SAFM, 104.3 FM in Rustenburg. The Viewpoint, 8 to 10 p.m. Turning conventional wisdom on its head. Indeed, indeed, indeed. That is me, Songezoma Bekwe. It's now 22 minutes past 8 in the evening. It is Wednesday, one day to go before the Easter break really starts in earnest, and we wish you all the best for the religious holidays to those who subscribe. Nonetheless, we are in conversation with former Constitutional Court Judge Justice Albi Sachs. We are leading the conversation in that regard, and we're taking your calls on 0891-104-207. Justice Albi Sachs, if one has to say... It is an enduring pl- privilege and pleasure of mine to have in my bookshelf The Strange Alchemy of Life and Law, as well as your latest release, We the People. Can you talk about your judicial authorship and what legacy you thought or you preferred to leave behind in terms of, in as much as there is a constitution and the laws within which one has to be girdled by, there's still an individual on that bench yeah. who brings a wealth of life's experiences and personal vision within the framework of the Constitution. What did you, as you sought to write judgments, look to communicate beyond what the words themselves said? You know, I was just, just thinking back. I mentioned all these countries throughout the world that have uh, been influenced by our decisions, not not just mine. Uh, and I was saving the best for last, and that was elsewhere in Africa. I spent 15 months in Kenya on a judges and magistrates vetting board. We had to vet judges who had been so corrupt and twisting the law. It was a painful, painful experience. But it was marvelous meeting new younger judges uh, in Kenya who were so keen, and, and their marvelous great new uh, chief justice, William Matunga, so keen to liaise with South Africa to develop an African jurisprudence. Uh, and I think our continent is now going to be a major source, not only from South Africa, but from other parts of the continent where judges are playing more than just an important role, often a leading role in upholding the basic morality of the country. Uh, I, maybe my, my strongest emotional moment as a judge with many emotional moments in 15 years was uh, I was about to go into court for the treatment action campaign case dealing with the provision of nevirapine to women 
about to give birth, women who are HIV positive, and the drug would have cut down the transmission then by 50%, now it's by about 98%. Uh, and there was reluctance on the part of government to provide it. And we were about to go into court, and my colleague, Sandil Novo, says, Hobby, would you like a handkerchief? And I said, no, no, I'm okay this time, Sandili. <laughs> and the background to that was we'd had another case dealing with HIV AIDS. The court had been packed with people wearing T-shirts saying HIV positive, black, white, brown, young, old, men, women, a nation. And Sandil Novo had given a beautiful judgment on how the South African Airways, as a state institution, had a duty to combat prejudice yes. against people living with HIV when it didn't want to employ somebody as a, a steward on the airline because he was Correct. HIV positive, even though he couldn't communicate the disease. And Santini gave beautiful, beautiful words uh, saying why, why this was wrong and un- unconstitutional. And there was dead silence in the court. And as we walked out and got into the passage behind, cheering started, and I started crying. I was crying with emotion, not only the impact of HIV, but feeling, gosh, we are judges. We can defend the fundamental rights of people in ways we hadn't even thought when we had drafted the Constitution. And now we're going to go out of the court in the treatment action campaign case a little while later. Sandili had heard the story how I told people that I've cried. And he said, Albie, do you want a handkerchief? And I said, Sandili, it's not necessary. I'm ready this time. And Arthur Chaskelson read out a pricey of our decision. The court's packed with people. HIV positive, going. HIV positive. Dead quiet. And he orders the state to roll out the provision of Navarapine um, to progressively to all the mothers who wanted to take it. Dead silence. We go out to the back. And the cheering starts again, and I cried again. For for that same reason, that we are defending human rights in a a profound way. And that turned the whole uh, project, as far as the government was concerned, around from being in denial against treating people with HIV to now South Africa has the biggest ARV program in the world, and very much to do with the decision of the court upholding the Constitution. But it didn't come without its challenges. Talk to us about the Constitution and the separation of powers, because it was that case, certainly, that brought that to the fore in the most critical manner. Yes, well, you know, we've had uh, a number of cases where the court has ruled against the president. In that case... Although the president wasn't, Tarvin Becky wasn't a party to the case, it was well known that, that he was behind uh, an official policy, which he had openly defended, uh, and he accepted the decision of the court. If he agreed with it or not, he accepted it. Before that, Nelson Mandela, we ruled against him and Parliament in a very early case where um, Parliament had asked Mandela as president to draft the laws and promulgate the laws quickly for the first democratic local government elections. And we struck that down, both against Parliament and the President, and we said Parliament can't entrust lawmaking to the President. Parliament must do it itself. I appreciate and Mandela that, went onto television the next day, and he said, 
when he'd acted, he'd acted on legal advice that he had authority to do so. He said he now accepted that he was wrong, and he said, I, as president, must be the first to show respect for the Constitution as interpreted by the Constitutional Court. Yeah, I love that. More recently, we had the famous Ntandla case. Can we play a clip relative to that on that note, Justice Sachs? Because I want to marry the concept of what the Constitution might have envisioned and those early forefathers and foremothers of our Constitution made sure to keep to its dictates and thesis. But things have changed somewhat. Listen to this. The President thus failed to uphold, defend and respect the Constitution as the supreme law of the land. This failure is manifest from the substantial disregard for the remedial action taken against him by the public protector in terms of her constitutional powers. How things have changed. You know, <laughs> it's a huge change. The, the, the judges before said we're bound by what Parliament says, full stop. And the biggest injustices were, were supported by, by the judiciary, with a few brave judges doing what little they could to, to resist. Now the judiciary has at times been at the forefront of upholding what the Constitution requires. And, and you know, I, I was, a week after the Nkanda decision, I was rushing from my plane in Cape Town Airport, and a big, burly, late middle-aged African man blocks my way. He says, puts his arms around me and says, thank you. Doesn't you say why? Thank you. And I said, it wasn't me. I've been off the court for nine years. He says, thank you, thank you, thank you. And, and I had the feeling he was expressing the feelings of millions of people. This is what they want the Constitution to be. This is where they want the courts to intervene. Yes. The Parliament is not doing its work properly, and the President's not doing its work properly. So that's not overreach. It's not the judges violating the separation of powers. It's the judges reminding the other authorities, branches of government, what their duties and, and their tasks are. Let's talk about the people. We've got Mark from Cape Town, Felix from Nelspruit, Tsula from Bethlehem, and Eddie from Edenville. They all want to talk to their judge. Mark, good evening. Short and sweet, yes, please. Good, yes, good evening, and I'll make it quick. Yes, regarding the first point, I'm glad you mentioned the problem about the uh, language. We have 11 official languages, but the coin the sun languages are, uh, are sidelined. Even the plight of the coin the sun people, including the 2007 United Nations Declaration, that is still a battle. And so today, the coin the sun people, they plight regarding language and everything apart that goes with it is being sidelined. But we call it the so-called best constitution in the world. Uh, I have a different viewpoint. The other point is we were more, we were more uh, united and liberated during the years of, um, of the uprisings. But today, I believe we are a more divided nation. And my biggest problem in the time bomb is this apartheid-designed economy. The concept of the minimum wage is nowhere practiced elsewhere in the world, apart from the Asian, the Australian okay, countries. I'm going to interrupt you yes. now. There are other people waiting to speak. I think you raised yes. a very strong and a very oh, significant point that at the thank beginning in, in relation to the, the sign languages, and at least it's to the credit of our Constitution that they are recognized as languages that, that deserve and uh, require protection and, and development. So you've got a strong constitutional basis, and, and I personally hope, I personally hope that people like yourself who are fighting for greater significance, understanding, comprehension of the sound languages, uh, the culture, uh, and appreciation of your history, uh, I, I hope, 
hope that they make very, very good progress. But I must ask that the next speaker be allowed. Thank you so much, Justice. In fact, if Mark is still listening, we will have a conversation about this next week, Thursday. We'll be broadcasting from Port Elizabeth. From Nelspreit, Felix. Good evening. Thank you so much for taking my call. Actually, I wanted to say that the constitution of this country establishes a framework for an individual to achieve his highest goal in life. And it's a beautiful constitution that everybody must love. But my question is this. How does the judge feel when people come and condemn this constitution that it is not African, it's Roman Dutch law, because they start condemning it so much as if Mandela and the rest are sold out? Well, how do you feel when they condemn the constitution like this? Yeah, now I understand what, you, what, what you're saying. Uh, first of all, the constitution was a product of people very much like, like Oliver Tambo and Paolo Jordan, uh, who recognized that the Bill of Rights had been adopted by the ANC in 1923. It was adopted by the ANC in 1944, when the Youth League, that was across the board, supported it completely. The Freedom Charter we heard about a little bit earlier. Uh, it's very much an African document. It was the whites who didn't believe in democracy. It was the whites who refused to accept equality. It was the whites who refused to believe that the country belonged to everybody. So my experience uh, in working towards its, its, its um, uh, adoption and implementation, the leadership came very, very much from African people. And these were proud, strong African people like Albert Tutuli and like Oliver Tambo and Albert Tina, and you, you know who they are, uh, and especially, especially O.R. Tambo. So for me, it's very much an African doc, uh, document, the spirit of Ubuntu, of respect for all human beings runs right through the whole thing. It's not an individualistic document. It's a document that recognizes the rights of workers, it recognizes the rights of women, it recognizes the rights of the marginalized, the dispossessed, whoever they might be. Uh, and those of us on the court, I think coming from our very, very different backgrounds, have interpreted in, in that particular way. Uh, I might mention, for example, the famous Clause 25 on land, it's been so much in dispute, uh, or so contested recently. The yes. very first decision we gave, we quoted from an Afrikaans professor at Stellenbosch University who said our land law in South Africa today can't be looked at in the light of Roman Dutch law or English property law. It has to be looked at in the light of the fact of the major dispossession of the great majority of our people from the land. The very first case we had on land law. So that Africanist approach, if you like, came from an Afrikaner, which is maybe particularly fitting, a very progressive Afrikaner who supported the, the freedom struggle in this country. Uh, and we've frequently said that we can't follow the supreme individualistic approach of some constitutions, interpretations, say like in the United States of America, it's each person on their own fighting for their own rights. We have to look at... Uh, the theme of Ubuntu is a theme that says my freedom, independence, personality is bound up with your freedom, independence, and personality. We can't separate it out. And we've yeah. done that in our decisions, and we did that in the way that we worked as a court. And our leadership in the court initially was maybe in the hands of those of us with white skins who'd, uh, in, in terms of numbers, were in the majority of 
persons available for the court then. It's become an overwhelmingly African-led, uh, inspired court uh, for, for 10, 15 years now. Uh, and the quality of the decisions is, is, I think it's getting better and better in all sorts of ways because it's really in touch with the people in terms of language, culture, background, hopes, and it, it expresses the highest aspirations for our people in the broadest possible way. For me, it's an example of Africa leading, not Africa following. All right. Let's take two calls respectively, I mean, con- um, consecutively, Justice Sachs. We'll take first Tula from Bethlehem and Eddie in Edenville before you respond to them. Please, gentlemen and lady, if any, please make it quick. For accepting me and good Thank evening you. to all the gentlemen there and the judge. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm one of the people who, who respect and who, who, who cherish the constitution of our country. But at the same time, I'm one person who's bleeding inside because despite the fact that we have such a wonderful constitution, but the people who have been bestowed with the trust to be able to govern the country observing the very constitution, they have broken every piece of it. The people who are in our cabinet, they have broken each and every law of the country. There has been stealing by the ruling party. There has been looting. There has been all sorts of horrible things. To me, today, I look at this country as, as a Titanic that is moving towards an iceberg that is about to explode with us all. Unless if somebody and sense prevails that we should steer our Titanic away from that. I am listening to the youth of the country today. They are angry. They are annoyed. We are about to, to, to see the revolution in this country. That yeah, has sure. never even been. We get the gist of your point. Thank you so much, Sula from Bethlehem. We do get the gist of your point in terms of the abuse that is happening in the name of the Constitution. We'll take Eddie from Edenville. Good evening, Sengezo and Judge Sachs. Firstly, Sengezo, uh, thank you very much for such wonderful, inspiring shows. You're a breath of fresh air on SAFM. And to the it, judge, thank you. Uh, you know, every time I listen to the judge, I, I get I get uplifted with you know with with his uh, with his knowledge and his in his foresight. He makes me so proud to be a South African. I get quite emotional about it. But he, you know, with people like Judge Sachs, they've given this uh, this this new South Africa such a wonderful grounding, and I've got so so much confidence in the future. And I, you, we just don't appreciate. People, there are so many of them that put their lives on the line. They gave so much, and we just we don't fully appreciate what they've done for us. And so I, I say thank you, Judge Sachs. And uh, we dare not let what the foundations that you've laid go, Ryan. But I'm confident we've got the people here to take us forward. Thank you, Judge, and good night. Thank you so much, Eddie. That was Eddie, who was our last caller, um, at least for the time being. It's unfortunately 20 to 9, and it means we have five minutes left. We'll be back with Justice Albie Sachs to wrap up this conversation just now. This is what tap dancing sounds like on a normal day. And this is what tap dancing sounds like on 10 May. No matter what you do, don't forget Slipper Day on 10 May. Support Reach for a Dream by wearing your slippers on Slipper Day 2019. Not all heroes wear capes, so get a wristband from slipperday.co.za and help us make dreams come true. Reach for a Dream, inspiring hope. 
This is an SABC supported initiative. Nothing conventional on the viewpoint. Absolutely nothing conventional on the viewpoint, more so when you're talking about the Constitution. Ubuntu writ large helping quell corruption. There were some concerns raised there, Justice Sachs, specifically by Tula, talking about executive authority and abuse of the systems and structures leading to youth despondency. Yet there's some inspiration, some hope from Eddie. There's a lot to be said about this constitution as a living document in terms of it is still a contested terrain in many respects. Your response? Okay, let me just tell you why I have such strong confidence in this country, uh, South Africa. They used to say, reactionaries and even doubters in our own ranks, you know, are we ready for democracy? They would say it took a thousand years in Europe to get democracy. You can't expect illiterate people in South Africa to go for democracy uh, and all sorts of racist stuff like that. We're just about to have our sixth general elections. Our democracy is strong. It's rooted. People have a right to, to express their minds, to vote for, to vote against, to abstain if they want. This is the SABC. We're having the most open discussion. It was impossible before, and in many countries in the world where neither on private nor public broadcasting can you make statements about the top leadership in the country and, and the way that people have been doing. That gives me confidence. We have great investigative journalists. The courts are doing terrific work in holding fast to those dreams and ideals uh, for, in, in which we believe. And the Constitution itself doesn't solve problems. It doesn't build houses. It doesn't create schools. It doesn't heal sick children. But it gives us the mechanisms, the opportunities, the possibilities. Civil society has to be strong. The political parties have to have vigorous internal debates, vigorous external debates. We've got all those things in spades. And also we've got a people who sing, who laugh. We have great comedians. We, 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 we've won our freedom. We're not going to give up our freedom very easily. So I think the, the needs that South Africans have to find ways forward completely outweighs the, the criminality, the venality, the crookedness of those who've taken advantage of the system just to enrich themselves. And we know about them, and they've been exposed. And the law will take its course. The law will take its course, and hopefully there will be strong people in charge of the instruments of the law to make sure that those who've behaved in a wicked yep. way uh, are, are get their just desserts. But not through lynching, uh, not through simple use of political power. Now we're in charge. We can get rid of, the, of our opponents. Let the law take its course in a proper way and let there be proper people in charge of the instruments of the law, professional honest and with that sense of honesty and integrity in their hearts and minds. These are the things that are increasing in this country uh, and I meet many, many, many wonderful young people, very diverse backgrounds. Uh, I was at UCT yesterday at the graduation ceremony. It's overwhelmingly black people are now emerging with spirit, with verve. Uh, They're not calling for that university to fall down. Uh, they are decolonizing in practice, not just in language, not just in emotion, but in practice that university is being decolonized. And I think South Africa is really in a strong position now to take the next step forward. Uh, some people call it the second liberation. Others call it a new dawn. Others have different language for it. I feel very, very optimistic. That's at, a good point at, to end it on. 
Uh, at Cape Town, I was a 20-year-old, young, idealistic person. Now I'm an 84-year-old, uh, young in heart, idealistic person. And I think so much has happened to transform our country. In the meanwhile, we will take that next step. Thank you so much, Justice Albusex, and we wish you another 84 years of life of inspiration and courage like no other. That was, ladies and gentlemen, former Constitutional Court Justice, a professor, an activist, and a very good human being at heart, Justice Albusex, an activist and a former judge of the Constitutional Court who's dedicated the best part of his life in fighting for the Constitution that we now celebrate. That's it for now with him. I'm sure he'll be back one day to talk more because we could never end a conversation about the Constitution. Much more to be said, unfortunately, about the Royal St. Andrews Hotel Amanzi Challenge after this.